Hello and welcome to Sustainable in the City, a podcast that tells inspiring stories of everyday city dwellers on a journey to a more sustainable life. I'm your host and novice sustainable light, Brooke. Welcome to another episode of Sustainable in the City. I'll give you first a little update on my own life. So last time we talked about the zero waste movement and uh, I got a lot of good infos. I'm hoping you guys did too. And I've pinned a whole bunch of things that I can start doing in my own life. And I've made a decision that every time we run out of something that might be single use or just plastic um, that breaks or whatever the case may be, I'm going to replace it with a sustainable alternative. I already went out and got some reusable paper towels that you just throw in the washer. So I'm super excited about those. And yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing until, you know, gardening season happens. And um, except today, you know, I might be challenged a little because we are talking to Amanda and she runs Baguette and Butter, which is a food blog that helps people in the city grow more sustainably and kind of live off what they make or live locally um, as far as food goes. So I'm really excited to talk to her because I'm kind of a foodie. I love going out to eat. I love making new foods, but I personally, you know, I go to the grocery store just like everyone else and I just buy things. And I have noticed from a packaging perspective, even the way we buy produce, there is a ton of waste there and it's not very sustainable. So I hope you're excited and ready to talk about food today and talk about how you can be sustainable with the life of your food. And as always, I will put all of her information in the notes of this podcast. I know there might be a little places where our connection was a little funky. So if you miss her Instagram, it's Baguette and Butter. And also the online allotment is another great one that you guys should follow on Instagram. But look her up and listen in. It's going to be a great day. So thanks again, Amanda, for joining the podcast today. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, I think at first I would love for you just to kind of introduce yourself, talk about what you do, any projects that you're involved in, you know, give us a rundown. Awesome. Um, so my name is Amanda McLemore, um, and I'm the founder of Baguette and Butter. It originally started as a blog and has now turned into a sustainable teaching website um, or plethora of different projects, if you will. So um, on Baguette and Butter, the most things that you'll find are online workshops. So I do online live workshops. I do a few different in-person workshops or just different um, different events and things of that sort that go around sustainability and food. And as well, the major project that we have is our field guides. So we have seasonal field guides, um, that each season teaches you exactly what you would find at the farmer's market and how you're able to cook that in a capsule recipe or a capsule uh, menu, if you will. So there's about 20 recipes in there that all work together. So you're able to purchase that uh, those ingredients constantly throughout that season and be able to cook things without having as much food waste and having a lot of extra things in your kitchen or um, larder. I support the, the larder or the pantry, uh, making a, a comeback in a new way. So that's the biggest project. Um, there's a couple of other babies in the works, uh, like the online allotment, which is it, like a sister company to Baguette and Butter. And that's everything on the side of growing your own 
produce, whether it's um, in a, you know, a garden or on a windowsill, but just being able to teach people how to grow their own food and connect back to the earth, especially in an urban environment where there's not a lot of space and um, a lot of community around getting everyone access to being able to garden. So those are the, the major things that Baguette and Butter does. That's awesome. I think it's super cool too, because, you know, I, I'm new to this whole sustainable thing and I really was excited because I moved from the desert. And so when I moved to a place that actually like rained and had grass and stuff, I was like, wow, I can grow things now. So I'm super into the whole urban gardening. Um, and I tried a patio garden in Arizona and I was terrible. So any resources that people have, I think is so cool that people are doing that. Yeah, that one, that one should be launching in spring and it's very, it's very much a collective of people. So the more, uh, more community that we have on it, the more it's interacting, um, versus just the, the content that's put on there by the online allotment itself. So it's really community based to be able to share your experiences too, because, a lot of times you can't just have, there's no one way to garden. You know, there's so many different things and different advices and people can all chime in. And that's the thing that I think is important is to be able to have an online platform that feels like you have neighbors. Um, and uh, especially in a city where sometimes there's so many people around you, but you don't really connect with those people, especially having different hobbies and interests. So I think that's really going to uh, become a popular piece to Baguette and Butter when it does launch. That's awesome. So when did you kind of start Baguette and Butter? When did you start your journey into the sustainable cooking world? And how did you get there? I started, I mean, I've always wanted to be a chef, like completely four years old. I was playing with spices and I had my own little, you know, the fake cooking kits and everything. So that was already set in stone from day one. Uh, I had no, <laughs> no choice in that uh, so that was always a thing. And I constantly wanted to go to culinary school, worked my way to Chicago, I went to Kendall College. And one of the interesting things is one of the first classes, uh, I believe it was called INT 110. And they had us read a book called No Impact Man. And it didn't really stick or really make an impact actually in that moment. I was very interested in it, but I didn't realize what it was um, really doing subconsciously. So I, I had that class and then we did have gardening and we had access to farmers markets and things like that being in the city. So there was a lot of times where I would leave school and go to the farmers market to get inspiration and just, just be a part of the city and be a part of the, the food culture that was here. And I think after I ended up graduating and I moved back to uh, Michigan and I just really wanted to connect with something because the, the city was so different and I started a patio garden. I had no idea how to garden, but I started a patio garden. And then after that, I just kept kept reading, kept trying to figure out what was my next step as a chef because I had all of this experience under my belts. You know, I was working in a restaurant, but I just didn't feel like I was showing what I was put, um, basically what I was put here to do with food. Um, and with all of the things that I had already learned in culinary school. So I, I think it was that January, it was like 2015, I believe, where I decided to give up the grocery store for a year. And I was really just curious about where food came from. I had a lot of health issues growing up as well. So I wanted to be able to start completely from scratch and figure out at, at one point we were able to eat locally, shop locally. Like we didn't have to outsource food like we do um, for our everyday meals. If we outsource something, it was something that was exotic and, and 
actually taken care of because there was only so much of it. So I gave up the grocery store for a year. I moved back to Chicago that February. So it was a very weird timeline to start this project and then move again. But um, I had a 300 square foot apartment. I had some herbs growing in there. I um, rented an allotment in the city, started to garden and actually did pretty well for my second garden. My first garden didn't really get much harvest or anything out of that. And after that, yeah, I just, I just kind of went into a tunnel of learning how to preserve more, learning how to garden more. And I completely found the space of just comfortability and ease and, and not having to worry about where my food is coming from. And I wanted to be able to show people in the city how they were able to do that. And that's how Baguette and Butter morphed from a blog, which is 10 years old, to um, actually teaching people what I've learned instead of just sharing my journey. That's awesome. awesome. So when you say that you um, gave up the grocery store for a year, do you mean that you only like, did you go to farmer's markets or is it literally you just lived on whatever you produced yourself? Like, what does that look like? I I didn't go, I did go to the farmer's market. So what my rules were for myself, because I was like, I need to do something drastic, um, (laughs) but also rational. If it doesn't work, I can, you know, go to the grocery store. So this is, this is the best I have. But I knew I had these set of skills from culinary school that got me started. And I knew there were some places that I can go. There was, you know, farmer's markets that I would travel to for fun. And a lot of times people do go to farmer's markets and they go, you know, just to to eat for breakfast or they get a couple of different produce items, but they're, they're not truly sustaining themselves off of a farmer's market. And I wanted to know if that was possible anymore. So my rules were being able to go to the farmer's market. I would eat out at local places if I was hanging out with friends or family, things like that. Um, but most of my meals weren't coming from just restaurants. And I also had my allotment. So I started obviously in the wintertime. So I would go to my farmer's market and have some potatoes and pears and things like that, eggs. Um, and it wasn't even so much into sustainability at that point. It was more about connecting with local food. That was the, the main focus where that came from. Um, and I had found a local milk producer or a farm that wouldn't ship or deliver to my actual home because there wasn't farms really close in Michigan where I was. So I would wake up at five in the morning before I would go to work and meet the milk delivery driver to pick it up. Um, So it was as close as I could get to it because I couldn't get to the farm and they weren't at a farmer's market. So I was really just trying to to detox from the grocery store. It was really the, the biggest goal. And I don't really think I had phrased it or worded it that way then. But when you go to a grocery store and you walk in and I mean, there's designs around this so that you shop a certain way and there's so many different packagings that are telling you what you need to eat you know trying basically trying to bribe you that this is what you want or this is what you're looking for whether it's something organic or local or sustainable or less you know plastic packaging around it and there's just too much noise in a grocery store and so I wanted to be able to detox and cut that noise out and now being able to go into a grocery store, allowing myself back into Whole Foods and things like that, the noise is gone. I'm able to navigate the store, being able to do it on my own accord and not so much having all of these questions in my mind and trying to understand what's in my food. But instead, I'm predominantly in a produce section if I'm not at a farmer's market. Like in the now in the wintertime, obviously, there's a lot less at um, the farmer's markets. So if I'm getting certain things in uh, here in Chicago, there's a lot of local produce that is at some of our 
uh, whole foods. So depending on how you look at certain things, like if I go into a certain section and there's three different items, I'm picking the one that's most local to me. I'm picking that local brand. So it's, it's really changed the way that I was able to shop and it's really minimized the amount of food that I keep in my home. But at the same time, I have this freedom of constantly changing produce because it's, you know, seasons change and being able to cook even more. I, I, I cook in a way that's just so freeing and creative that beforehand you're just constantly stressed out about what you're going to eat and trying to do something different. And you end up buying all these things for a recipe and then you have all this leftover and the, the cupboards just explode with food and you never really feel like you're progressing anywhere. And so that is where I started to want to break up all of that noise. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's funny. I'm a graphic designer for my day job. And so you talk about packaging. And I think it's funny because I'm a like, I pick most stuff on how pretty it is, or like how like design, I like their aesthetic, but I've learned especially like, in the food world, and um, just in a lot of product world, actually, the more simple the packaging is, and the more like low cost it looks, it's probably better for you. Like it's probably more local. It's probably all these things that I should probably be doing. And I'm like, Ooh, but this one's pretty. (laughs) So it's funny, like you don't even think about what you're doing when you're looking at that stuff, but it makes a lot of sense. And even in grocery stores, I mean, they pay for the shelf space that they're on. So if you see certain kid friendly cereals are going to be placed lower so that they're at eye level for these kids to see, they pay more for a product to be on those end caps. It's because everybody's going to walk past the end cap. So it's, it, there's so much money and advertising poured into it, which, you know, it's a business, it's what it is, but what truly is happening to the food and the packaging and all the things underneath it is just completely different from what you're seeing on that packaging with the smiling character. And that that's what I, I wanted to address and, and put it in a way that was just very realistic. You know, every everyone is really starting to notice that there's a lot of changes we need to make. We need to be more sustainable. We need to care about where we're displacing any objects when we get rid of them. And we don't want to give up the lifestyle that we have. And so that's where I really wanted to take what I've learned and be able to tell people, you can still live the same life, but there are pivots that you have to take. And there are moments when you go to purchase something or when you get rid of something where you have to say, okay, well, I brought this into my home. Now I'm responsible for placing it in a place that can actually be reused or, you know, you're responsible for that. So sure. um, that that's definitely been the, the sustainability part that's constantly going into um, all of the other parts of the grocery store, I guess. <laughs> so do you, um, do you eat meat? I do. At all? I do. Okay. I, I honestly love eating vegetables more. Um, I've never been vegetarian, but I can go being vegetarian for days and not realize it. Um, but I still, I still do eat meat. I still eat meat out. Um, and I think that's a, the biggest part is a lot of people will think that they have to completely change into a new person when they, when they jump into sustainability. And while eating, eating meat will cut down and make, make things way more sustainable very quickly. If you're eating something that's local and you're honoring that, that, that meat is going to be more expensive and it's pasture raised and, and you're, you're taking that time to honor it the way that it used to be. That's kind of where my belief system is because it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with eating meat, but there's definitely something wrong with how large that system has become. And that output has gotten 
out, like astronomically out of hand. And that's what makes it unsustainable. So the, the farms that I do purchase from are local. I've actually visited some. I've camped overnight at some. So being able to actually see these animals live the way they are and taken care of and being a part of that experience. So I, I really think as long as you're understanding where that food's coming from and you're buying something local and you're not buying it as much, also you're going to save money doing that, but you're, <laughs> you're definitely going to offset it, that footprint, if you will. Um, I don't say just as much. You'll definitely off, um, offset the footprint more if you are vegan or vegetarian, but I, I, I'm, I'm a real person like everyone else. And there's, there's another side to sustainability of being able to say, I eat meat, but this is the sustainable way of being able to do that. And that's by supporting those farmers that are um, growing their own animals in the way that was completely normal at one point. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I've just seen other people that are trying to be like more sustainable, um, especially in the food area and most of them were vegetarian or vegan so I always just find it interesting because I also don't mind like meeting eat or eating meat wow (laughs) but um, I find that like that was really hard um, because like I said so I've lived in Kansas City about a year but before that I lived in Phoenix and I couldn't even tell you in Arizona where there's a farmer's market I think the closest one that I knew of was probably like 45 minutes from me so it was just like a different world because you're in a desert and growing things like I have a friend that has an amazing garden but she has a lot of equipment to make that garden exist and so I think there are places where it's harder but I don't think to your point like you can still grow some stuff on your patio Um, you can still like, there's whole foods everywhere there. So I think it looks different, but you don't have to be like, I always thought that there was a stigma of like, I have to be a vegetarian to eat sustainably. And that's not true. Yeah, it's not absolutely (laughs) true. No, I mean, and it definitely, it does make things better, but I think having that, having options to listen to, to everyone's journey, everyone's story, everyone's, uh, business models and how they, teach people about sustainability. It's nice to be able to have certain people that are in the sustainability space as um, advocates of change that say, this is a way you can ease into it. You know, maybe you do want to sure. be, you know, vegan or vegetarian one day, but it's not easy to switch, you know, cold turkey with, without the pun <laughs> being intended. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for people, especially eating an American diet, your body has to detox out of that. And some people have the mindset where they're able to do that. And other people, they just, they need a support system. And so I go from a standpoint of saying, you know, it's okay to eat meat, but look at what you're buying first and honor something that's better for your body. And then your body gets used to eating vegetables and going to the farmer's market, you start to see there's more vegetables than there are meat. And once your body starts getting used to eating vegetables, you're like, man, vegetables are good. And you know, if you're in following any of the the products that we have for baguette and butter and you're purchasing the field guide, the way that it, it's broken up is you're able to eat more plant-based things or add meat if you want to, or take it away. So you're starting to enjoy vegetables again, because the vegetables that we have in large box grocery stores, they don't have flavor anymore. They don't have anything that actually makes it feel good to eat. And when you actually go to a farmer's market or you have your own garden or even if someone else has their own garden and you're able to actually experience that vegetables are delicious and they, they change with the season. And even though it's the same produce and that's the the lesson that I want to be able to teach people and they get to choose at that end of that role, if they want something that's 
vegan or vegetarian, but if they end up getting meat that's local to them, it's going to cost more. And that, that, that budget and that dollar is going to make you think twice about buying as much meat as you do. Sure. I think it's funny because, um, I, I didn't grow up in a very sustainably like environment and not that that's a dig. I just don't think that it was a focus, you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I never thought about the whole flavor even being different with vegetables. And then I remember my mom actually was like, yeah, tomatoes, like they don't taste like anything these days. Like when I was growing up, they were delicious. And then I grew my own tomatoes and I was like, holy mm -hmm. cow. Like, I don't even think that you get that most of the time. Cause you're just so accustomed to what's in the store that you don't even know that there's like a different world of vegetables out there. <laughs> and it's funny because um, when I would work in restaurants and now I'm, you know, not so much in restaurants, but we get tickets that come in and all the time, no tomato, no tomato. And I'm like, this is why <laughs> tomatoes are terrible because what they do is they pick them when they're green and then in the truck, they pump a gas into them. So by the time they get to their destination, they're quote unquote ripe. And so you're not actually getting something that's truly a ripened tomato. Um, so when you're able to actually experience that, and some people still might not care for tomatoes, but it changes your outlook on how a vegetable actually tastes and what it is. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I think that uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting about um, you was that also you focus on people that live in the city. Do you have a reason that you went that route? I mean, I'm sure because you live in a city is part of it, but what is it that uh, makes the audience of city dwellers interesting to you? Um, it's, it's really interesting because beforehand when I, I started with Baguette and Butter it was really a the, the subject of kind of an American food culture and I was just kind of kind of combining everything together even though I haven't traveled too much around um, in America but I just want I wanted to be able to change our American food system because I know that's the, the broader picture of it. Um, but the more I, I learned about myself and my journey, because I am the complete tester for all of these things that I teach, and I have my family that I'm always constantly saying, we made a test this and see if it works for you too, because they have different outlooks and um, they're not all into sustainability like I am, but they're, they know because of me. So it was really just kind of looking into me and saying, okay, you know what, I've only lived in big cities and I love big cities. And I, if I travel somewhere, I'm probably going to land in a big city and the challenges in a big city with, you know, not having farmers markets or having a place to actually grow things. Or some people say, you know, uh, I live in a studio. I don't have a big kitchen. You know, I can't cook a lot. And I watched myself from going into culinary school to moving back home to moving to a 300 square foot apartment. And now I'm, I'm in my own home where I have my own backyard. And I was able to defy these odds at each step and say, you know, I can give up the grocery store in, in the suburbia of Detroit, Michigan, and be able to make this work. I'm able to be in a 300 square foot apartment and be canning my own tomatoes from my allotment that I have in the city. And now being able to be in the city and have a full fledged garden, which knock on wood, one day I'll have chickens back there. But, you know, I, it was, it, and originally I thought like, okay, I'm going complete off the grid homesteading. And then I realized at the core, who I really was. I'm like, yeah, I can't, I cannot be, the, <laughs> this is not going to work out. Maybe if there's an apocalypse, I'll be good. But, you know, in, in this moment, I'm, I'm a city dweller and that's who I am. You know, I, I love to get dressed up and, and go out to music venues. And you, you have different challenges when you're in a city because there's so much going on and there's so many people and perspectives. And that's, that's what made me go, you know what, it's, it's the city. It's a city dweller in me that connects with 
every other city dweller that wants to be sustainable or, you know, and they want to be able to save money, but they don't have a lot of space and they, they just want something to be simple, but they don't want to give up their, their day-to-day lifestyle, or maybe they want to improve their day-to-day lifestyle. I thought it was really interesting when I, um, I've only had one in a partial gardening season under my belt, but, um, even my first year, like I had so many tomatoes just from one plant that there was no way my husband and I were going to eat every single tomato that we had. So we literally just started offering them to our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I was so fascinated, like how many people were so excited to get like cucumbers and tomatoes and all the extra stuff that I have. And like some of those neighbors now we talk to all the time, like I hosted a holiday party with them just because of this gardening community. And I, I didn't think about that going into it, but I feel like, you know, some people have a passion and they might have more of a green thumb and then there might be neighbors next to you that are like, please take this, like Mm -hmm. have my extras or here's farmer's markets. And so that's always my encouragement to people too, is I don't think that necessarily every single person has to garden either. I think that there's tons of resources. It's just finding them and people being open to sharing with each other too. But I loved that community aspect that came of this thing that I didn't even expect. So yeah, and I think in a in a perfect in my perfect vision of a community, it's being able to there's there's always going to be somebody that's going to have a specific interest. So obviously mine's in food and sustainability, you know, other people might be in like graphic designing, right? Exactly. To be able to have a community where somebody might enjoy cooking more or somebody might be able to enjoy gardening more, which is why, you know, the online allotment is separate from baguette and butter. So you have your, your different realms, but these, the community comes together in the same way that, you know, one person opens a dry cleaner. Like I don't want to open a dry cleaner, but I really need one in my community, you know? So there's, there's certain things that a community needs to be able to, to function as a town or a city. And that's the, the, the best part about it is that you're able to showcase like, yes, I do garden and I, I will give my abundance to you. And like mine, I have a neighbor two doors down and she sews as her career. She's, I, I don't know if that's what she's done her whole life, but she's got a sewing machine in her front window. And when I started my garden here at our home, I mean, I've had friendly people in our alleyway talking to me, uh, different neighbors. Everyone just started popping out of the woodworks because they're like, somebody has green in their backyard. And <laughs> the lady that um, has her sewing machine walked over and gave me her card. And, you know, we always talk and uh, back and forth, but th- this is how you start to be able to say, "Hey, I need curtains. Will you be able to to you know sew some curtains for me, and I'll give you some of my tomatoes or you know whatever plant you have." And you, you're able to play off those strengths of what other people love to do and what they're good at. I will. I keep trying to sew with my sewing machine, and I don't think it's something I want to do. So <laughs> the community comes in, and you're able to to kind of barter and trade, which is such an old concept, but I think that's having that that interaction in that web um, of people really helps to make the community a lot easier with trying to find local food and trying to find a sustainable community. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, let's talk food. What are, uh, what would you say are your favorite things to make or do you have a favorite season of harvest? I'm guessing spring probably is always a big one because that's just probably when the most things are happening. But do you have something that you prepare all the time or any anything you want to share about food itself? Yeah, I think it's really hard with everyone always asks like, what's your favorite dish that you make, or what's the favorite thing that you like to cook or eat? And I, I honestly don't have a, a complete answer for a dish because I love seasonality. So I'm always trying something new. I'm always trying to to see where the boundary is of you know I've got 
this, the stems from collard greens. Okay. How can I cook with this? You know, I'm, I'm always pushing that boundary. So that's kind of where my niche is, is to be able to say, can I take this food scrap or this vegetable one step further? Um, or even just trying to find different preserves and um, finding preservation methods that may not be commonplace so that I can be able to make them simplified and teach other people about them. Um, so that's my, my biggest kind of, I guess, dish if that makes sense <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> no that makes sense I actually uh, I I always say that I think there's probably been two recipes maybe in my whole life that I've made more than once so I'm definitely like a variety person uh, that was the other thing that I know people that are um, into like zero waste from like a food perspective but they eat the same thing like five days in a row and I'm like I can't be that girl like I'm just not that person I I need the variety. So I think it's fun. Like I'm fine eating mushrooms, for example, for five days, but in totally different ways. So I think that that's a lot of fun. It's and, it's and, what makes food fun to me. Yep. And that's, that's the thing when I created the field guide and as it continues to grow and I'm super, I'm in the middle of um, finishing up the spring field guide, which is not going to be out until later, but I'm super excited of how it's developing and where it's going because it's able to take that idea of one, you have variety just from being local and, and eating seasonally. And that's a, the great thing about it, but also being able to, to take all of these ingredients and then have 20 recipes with so many variations because of the vegetables that you have offered and also being able to have different preserves. So you might have, you know, this one vegetable, but then it might be pickled at this point, or it might be grilled um, or it might even just be a different vegetable that's in a different dish, but you're reusing the same dishes over. It gives people that want to have that variety, but also have a way of learning cooking skills again, but having less things and not having as much waste. So I'm, I'm really kind of, it's like this weird shift in the mental perspective and kind of minimizing all of it together, but still being able to, you know, if you, if you want to cook the same recipe over and over again, then you can go for it or you can change out different recipes as you go along and you know maybe you'll have asparagus in it one day and then you'll have carrots in it another and it's going to taste completely different because carrots are going to be sweeter or spicier and asparagus is going to have a more green fresh take on it so and then by the time that you're probably sick of asparagus then you're going into summer and everything else explodes with you know eggplant and broccoli and tomatoes and things like that so I think that's really nice is to be able to have something that makes it easier to shop and to start to preserve if you want to but then you're able to take simple recipes and recycle them without being tired or bored yeah for sure no I think that that sounds really exciting um so I know that you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier about you do still go to restaurants sometimes to eat with people and they're very local, but like say that you traveled to a brand new city. How do you find restaurants that you think are sustainable or that are local? Like what, how do you search that? Like how do you even know where those are in a new place, especially? Yeah. Uh, honestly, Google is my best friend for everything. And we live in a, in a time now where we don't have to, to look things up in yellow pages, which is amazing. So I definitely do Google a lot. Luckily with, I mean, even Instagram, I always will put posts out like, Hey, even when I was going back to Detroit, I'm like, I haven't been downtown in a while. Will you guys give me recommendations? And there's a community there in itself. So even just following hashtags and things like that, you're always able to find and reach out online and see things that you're looking for, like using local farmers or in sustainable restaurants 
Um, even normally restaurants that you end up reading in a lot of magazines now, they're trending into supporting local agriculture and more sustainable efforts. So that's always something that I do look for. I always even look for a farmer's market when I'm traveling too, because I like to try and see what other farmer's markets are like and, and kind of visit those as well. So that's definitely what I look for. But I mean, even when you go to, to a city and when I travel, I do love to see what that city is known for. So a few years ago, we went to New Orleans and, you know, you want to be able to experience New Orleans for what it is. So if I'm going out to eat at a restaurant, not every restaurant is going to be the local sustainable hip um, idea that everybody has, but you're also able to go into a place and sit down and request no straw and bring a, a tiffin for your leftovers, or you're able to have these certain things to navigate through a regular um, restaurant without having the waste. So there's this, there's a local and sustainable aspect to it, but then there's also living in what we have now and still supporting that, that local, uh, the local restaurants and things like that. But when you go to those restaurants that may still serve straws or things like that, and you don't need it, you're able to let them know that it can be an option. And even some, some cities that aren't used to that, you're able to know that people are requesting it as well. So I don't think I ever cut off a restaurant per se, for something that I don't want to go to, but I definitely will still follow the the qualities that I look for and, and not having as much waste in my meal. Sure. That makes sense. Do you ever use Yelp at all or do you kind of stay away from that? Because I know that's what most of my friends use to find restaurants and stuff. But yeah, I, I think I honestly stay away from Yelp. I mean, it does pop up instantly. It's designed to pop up first. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Yelp. I just think that a lot of times there are some restaurants that will not pop up. I mean, even in Chicago, I, even when we go out, we're like, oh, let's find, you know, somewhere we can go eat and we'll always go online still and, and look and see what's new or what's out. And some restaurants just don't make the cut on Yelp. They don't show up. And there's a lot of great restaurants that are still hiding out there. So I do like to kind of dig a little bit more and see what other places come up. Um, and it, it's all, you know, based on algorithms and how the, the popularity shows up. So a lot of restaurants that might be really good hole in the wall places may not show up on Yelp or even at the top of Google. So it, it depends on how much work you want to do to find certain places. And eventually, long term, I, I want to be able to kind of fill the void, at least in big cities with that. But um, yeah, you just can kind of search for whatever matches to what your, your aesthetic is and what you're looking for in a restaurant and just kind of have your, your go-tos of what to request when you're there. Something else that I saw, I think, on your blog when I was looking around, I think that um, you actually do some stuff with cocktails too, right? And mm-hmm. is, is there like a sustainable cocktail world that I don't know about? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not really sure if, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there, there isn't a way, um, but I, I think, I, I don't want to call myself, I might be it, but I, I don't know that there's, there's a person that's taking all of the avenues and meshing them together in the way that I have. I mean, there's definitely people that are using local spirits and things like that, but I don't know if the focus is the same. Um, but yeah, that, that honestly started again from another city aspect. My, my favorite, I love, I love old fashioned. I love bourbon and whiskey. Um, and our favorite place to go to get an old fashioned is the gauge in Chicago. And it still is my favorite, but normally when you go out to the city to have a drink, you'll pay somewhere of 18 to $20 and some places are even more per cocktail. 
And, you know, it's fine if you're having a night out on the town, but you can't always have an old fashioned out on the town. It's not necessarily sustainable for your wallet at that point. So I was determined to be able to make my own old fashioned. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started. And after that, I'm like, man, I can really take things that I'm preserving or things from the garden and and be able to make cocktails. And the more that we started entertaining, the more I was making cocktails for friends and family. And it's just, it's so cozy to be able to come home or have friends and family over and you're able to have a, a solid cocktail with dinner or being able to, to talk to people and have cocktails too. So that's where that whole aspect kind of exploded. And a lot of people actually responded really well to it. So we continue to make cocktails. Uh, we're looking at kind of diving into the mocktail world as well. There's a lot of different sustainable spirits that don't actually have alcohol in them, but they're treated as a spirit to make cocktails with. So that's another thing that we're looking at adding into the whole cocktail plethora of what we're doing. And do you offer, um, just because I'm not super familiar on that side of things of what you do offer, do you guys give recipes for that stuff or do you just make them for people or what is that? resource look like? Yeah, so we, we do have recipes. Our blog has kind of slowed down a little bit. I'm, I'm taking a turn and bringing in a lot more contributors for the blog so that we can work on more of the field guides. And then I have a uh, master class that I have in the works that is taking up a lot of time behind the scenes. So there are recipes that will pop up on the blog. Um, and I did have a few workshops last year that were cocktail based. So whether it's preserving with um, preserving with uh, spirits, that was one that we did last year that was really nice where you're able to take things from the farmer's market and make your own bourbon cherries or make your own liqueurs, which are, that is the same thing I do every year um, with each season as I make a whole bunch of different liqueurs and then give them away for uh, Christmas gifts. But that, that was basically the workshops were where we did a lot of cocktail recipes and things like that. And I had a couple of ebooks out. So it's kind of disappeared from the website as of this year, because we did rebrand at the beginning of the year, but uh, it will definitely pop back up. Um, probably by summer, there's definitely going to be more drinks and, of course, in the holiday season. So you'll see them start to pop up and there'll be classes on sustainable cocktail making in the, the long term. Great. So that brings me to, I know we talked a lot about your blog, which is probably a really good place to find you and things that you do, but are there other places that people can reach out to you? Like is Instagram a great place? Is there any other place that people could get a hold of you if they wanted to check out or learn more about what you're doing? Yes. Um, so I live on Instagram. That's probably my, my main platform. I do have every other Instagram or Instagram, every other social media out there as well. I'm Twitter. I'm on there. I'm not on there, but I'm on there. Um, <laughs> uh, Pinterest, I, I live on it from a personal standpoint, but it is uh, baguette and butter as well. And that one is really nice because I am pinning not only the, the aesthetic of what baguette and butter is, but there's like a page on there called Essential and all of those different items on there are different things that I find that make it easy to be sustainable. Or there's like the larder section, which it's basically now a lot of pictures of what I hashtag a little larder um, so being able to have your small amount of preserves and dry goods and basically the idea of the glass jars um, that people find really pretty on social media, but don't think it's practical. And it's definitely a practical thing um, that people can do, whether they're just picking up old pickle jars or actually having jars that they purchase. So there's a lot of fun things on there to be able to actually click through and find things that work and different advice that you can become more sustainable and even, even recipes as well are on there too. 
That's awesome. Um, and so what would you say, I guess the last thing that I want to ask is people that think they don't have a green thumb, they can't garden or they live, like I said, in an area like Phoenix or a desert where nothing grows except cactus. <laughs> what would you say to them? Like, how do you still be sustainable in cooking? What are things that they can do? Would you still encourage them to garden? What would you have advice for them? Yeah, I definitely, I always encourage people to to try things out. I mean, that's how I started to garden. I had no experience and um, it just, it wasn't something I was sure I was going to be good at. And every, everyone can be good at gardening. It's really just like taking care of a pet or a child. You just kind of have to watch out for, if it, it's going to show you if it's dehydrated or, you know, it's going to, it's going to tell you if it's in stress in some way. Um, it's just really remembering it. But one of the things I actually got, I can't think of the name of it. I'll have to make a post about it. But they they sell these little units that um, they have pods. The pods are recyclable, so it's not completely zero waste per se. But you can actually grow um, herbs or lettuces or tomatoes, peppers. I, I purchased one for my mother for Christmas this year. And you're able to grow it inside. So it has like an LED light in it. And you're able to just have a small amount of gardening with you. Because I think even if you can have herbs or lettuce, it just helps you to connect and appreciate where your food is coming from. And you really get to see how long and how much effort it takes for something to grow. So that one is, um, I have, I'll definitely make a post about it just because I can't think of the name of it right now. But um, any any kind of LED light situation, if you have some type of grow light, you can be able to grow some things indoors where it's not as hot or humid outside. Um, but there's, there's always a way to grow something now, especially with the different indoor sustainability efforts with hydroponics and aquaponics that people are growing. Um, and other resources, I... Trying to think of, I use a lot of things off of gardeners.com if you're looking for actual products to use. Um, I use Seed Savers Exchange to purchase seeds. And most of the time, I'm just honestly on Pinterest. I mean, you can go on Pinterest too, and I actually have a, a gardening. Um, it's called Potager, is a page on there, but it has a lot of advice and things on there that I can, that I find pretty useful. And I've tried out some of them as well. So that's also another resource too to find. Um, a lot of gardening things you can find on Pinterest. Um, it's my second Google. So uh, that helps out. <laughs> I also live on Pinterest, so I know that feeling. <laughs> well, thanks. This has been great. I've actually learned a lot. I have a ton of notes in front of me of things that I want to go look up now that we've talked. And uh, I think that this has been just helpful for people in general. And I will put the link to your blog and things like that in the description of this podcast so people have easy access to it. Awesome. I appreciate it. And I really, again, I thank you so much for coming on. It's been really fun to talk to you. <laughs>